thermal sound wave wave thermal sound wave wave thermal sound wave wave You're listening to one of the hottest radio shows in the Tri-State area. Now for my next number. I'd like to return to the classics. Big up to everybody all around the world checking out Thermal Sound Waves right now via whcr.org. The radio boy, C-Truth, Kev Lawrence, Kev Lawrence, C-Truth. We are here. Hit us up on the Amos and Messenger tip. The screen name is Thermal Sound. Or, once again, the number to call is 212-491-4685. Email us, thermalsoundwaves at gmail.com. Okay, let's get to our guest right now who's been patiently waiting on the lines. Hello, how you doing, sir? How are you this evening? I'm good. Okay, okay, definitely, definitely. Big up to you, much respect. C- can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you, brother. I'm sorry. It okay. was just a little bit of delay. Yeah, yeah, turn that turn that down so you can hear us direct because you're going yeah, to get a delay. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I'm tuned in. You know that. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Of course, of course. So um, we got none other than Mr. Frank Alexander on the line right now. How the- you doing, Mr. Alexander? I'm doing good, my brothers. I'm doing good all the way out here on Cali and uh, the West Coast, 90-something degree weather. You know what I'm saying? All right, no, I don't want to hear that. Anymore. All right, now, I, I see, know, we were I going good until you had to take it there. I know, huh? I know. <laughs> <laughs> what, part, what part of Cali are you in, man? You in Southern? Yeah, I'm in Southern that? California, man, uh, where it never rains, and that's like for real. But all right, all right. Rain you, know what? You, you, you need, know you need to stop that. Really like <laughs> you need to stop I, that. I don't, like break, him. Man. I don't like him already. I don't like him. <laughs> You can knock that off, man. For real. He's not one of my favorite guests. But big ups to everybody out in Cali. We we do have much love and appreciation appreciation for everybody out there in California, north and southern. So what brings you to the show, Mr. Alexander? Well, hey, um, if you don't mind, let me do a, a quick shout-out to my people out here, man, because if it wasn't for, uh, you know, the Tupac fans, uh, we wouldn't even be uh, doing this show. You guys wouldn't even be interviewing with me right now. No, no. So, um, yeah, man, uh, truthabouttupac.com, bombfirst.com, machiavelliboard.com. Tupac fans are the truest fans on those sites. Y'all need to check them out if you're not uh, one of those fans because those fans are from all over the world. Um, those are the, to the site owners. Those are my friends, my personal friends. So, you know, uh, everybody that's keeping it real and keeping it locked down for Pac, keeping that legacy alive. You know, along with me, so I'm not like just doing it by myself, and I do recognize that. And by no means, not leaving God out, because without God, there never b- would have been a Tupac, nor us to uh, have been uh, living in his legacy and been a part of uh, his legacy, you know, when he was alive. So I just want to shout that out now, just in case, uh, you know, I don't get a chance to at the end of the show because it's going to be so deep. Now, you're right, it is going to be very deep. Uh, but let's rewind a little bit. And first, shout out to all the, um, people and companies that you deal with or sites that you deal with because uh, you're absolutely right. This is going to get kind of deep. And and also big ups to the, uh, the Tupac Amaru Foundation as well. No Shout doubt. Without, 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 without no doubt of that. Mr. Phoenix yes, Shakur. Yes. Shout out to you, Mr. Phoenix Shakur. Yeah, uh, but but let, let, let's rewind this. Let's rewind this. You know, let's all over. Frank Alexander is your name, correct? That's correct. Now, for people saying... Who's Frank Alexander? Who is Frank? What is why? Why are we talking about Tupac with you? Uh, we're talking about Tupac with Frank Alexander because it ain't no secret I was Tupac's uh, bodyguard during that last year of his life from uh, 1995 up until uh, 1996, up until uh, he actually passed away. Uh, that's who Frank Alexander is, the one who wrote the book "Got Your Back: The Life of a Bodyguard in the Hardcore World of Gangsta Rap." That's the real deal. 
just re, uh, released it. The book was a uh, bestseller. Uh, New York uh, Press uh, reported on that. You guys out there in the New hook. York, y'all know that. The phone lines off the hook. Um, well, we talk, we're here. Thermal Salmons Radio, the world famous radio boys, C. Truth Kevons, here with our guest, Mr. Frank Alexander, gentleman that wrote the book, Who Got Your Back? Uh, the gentleman that was the bodyguard for uh, Mr. Tupac Shakur. I know a lot of people say Pac, Pac, and that's cool. But uh, just since we're getting kind of deep with it, I'll say his name, his full name, Tupac Shakur. Uh, what made you write this book? That's a good question, and uh, I really uh, like that question because uh, everyone, um, they ask that question, and it's a really simple answer. And it's um, any time, in my opinion, that someone write a book, it's because they have something to say and they're trying to express themselves to get it out there. So um, whomever their audience is will have their chance to uh, read those words from that uh, person, that author. Um, in my case, in my situation, I wrote my book, for that reason, and because there's chapters in my book, uh, and one of them is called uh, Scapegoat, um, because the finger was being pointed at me, and I was being made a scapegoat, and I didn't like the feeling of it, I didn't like the um, direction it was coming from, and it's uh, chapter 18, page 162, Scapegoat, and uh, I had to write about it. It's Thermal Soundwaves, he's talking to Mr. Frank Alexander, of course, author of the book, Got Your Back. And uh, he's speaking on uh, Mr. Tupac Shakur, and he was with him in this last uh, year of his life. Now, you talk about scapegoat, and you were his bodyguard for the, the last year of his life. So what exactly happened that, you know, kind of made you not able to, you know, get him out of that situation or, or, or keep him out of that situation where he, he did lose his life? Like, what exactly happened? Because many okay. people, you know, ask that question, like, okay, well, you was bodyguard, uh, how come you weren't bodyguarding him that night? What, what exactly happened? What took place? Well, that, that's, uh, again, um, you guys are real kind, because that's an easy question again. Uh, anytime, oh, don't worry, I got some other questions for you. That, 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 brother, bring them on. <laughs> um, good question. Um, the unfortunate thing is that uh, there's a lot of uh, events that occurred that uh, day. And uh, we'll uh, get a little bit, uh, you know, deeper into that as you guys ask your questions, and hopefully they'll um, relate to uh, the earlier part of that day. The question that you just asked me right now actually uh, happened that night. So to answer that question and to be fair about it, we would have to really go into all of the events that occurred that day first and make them uh, happen in order. But just to answer that question pertaining to that question, uh, we were sitting at a red light on uh, Cobo and uh, Flamingo, and a uh, white Cadillac pulled up, and the uh, gunman uh, rolled down the uh, window in the uh, back uh, seat of the car. It was a four-door, and uh, stuck his uh, arm out and started blasting into uh, the BMW that uh, Tupac and Suge Knight was riding in. Um, the unfortunate thing about that is uh, it did happen, and it caught everyone off guard. Now, let's uh, just look at this scenario. Even today, in 2011, people are, uh, I may not be as much in New York, but in California, it's like an everyday occurrence. Um, there's drive-by shootings, uh, people getting shot on a freeway, um, just driving down the freeway. Uh, every night you could turn on the news and you could hear something about something like that. And when you're sitting at a stoplight, by no means do you think that uh, a car is going to pull up next to you and uh, pull out a gun and start shooting uh, into your car. And unfortunately, that's what happened that night. There was other cars that had been pulling up alongside uh, Suge and uh, Tupac. And, uh, you know, it was no big deal because they were like fans and they were shouting, Pac, 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 you know, where y'all going, where y'all going? You know, women and, uh, you know, guys are like, 662, we're going to 662, come on, go down to 662. Right. You know, that was like the answer that they were shouting back. And... Um, at this particular moment, we were sitting there, myself and the uh, outlaws, uh, three of them that was in a car with me, in the front seat with me was um, uh, Yak Gaddafi, and in the back, right behind me, was uh, Kay Castro, and next to him in the back was uh, Idi Amin. And we were all sitting there, waiting for the light to turn green. 
And while we were sitting there, this Cadillac rolled up, and it pulled over uh, close to the car as all of us, not just myself, but all of us, was watching this Cadillac. Right. When the Cadillac pulled over, it was no big deal because in everyone's mind, it was just a car pulling up. They were shouting at Parknam, and we, no one was expecting for that uh, shooting to occur, and unfortunately it did. Um, there's a reason that um, I couldn't do anything other than watch, jump out of the car, and run up to the back of the car. Now, let's uh, uh, take this in uh, perspective here. As we're watching this Cadillac roll up, at the moment that Cadillac passed by the car that we were riding in, which was Kadada Jones, Quincy Jones's daughter's car that we were driving, and how I ended up in that car with the outlaws. Now, see, we got a flashback now. How I ended up in that car was uh, Tupac, and myself walked to the BMW after the Mike Tyson fight earlier that night was over. And we had left from the uh, Lexor Hotel in the valet uh, parking uh, area of the uh, Lexor. As we were walking to go get in the car, Tupac, I was actually opening up the back door to get in with Tupac, where I would have been sitting, uh, sitting behind him. And he said, hey, Frank, here's the keys to Kadada's um, car. Go drive that car with the outlaws because we're going to uh, the club, we're going to be partying, so you're going to be like our designated driver to bring us back home. So I was like, all right, cool. So now, that's, uh, that's what stopped me from being in the back of that car dead, dead, because right, right. there was 15 rounds that came out of that gun, and the majority of them hit the back really? as the car was rolling by. Now, let's go back to uh, the shooting. As that car pulled up, everything stopped. It was mm -hmm. like slow motion, Everything paused, and we saw the car roll by. We saw the window come down. We saw the gun come out. Can, can, I, can I pause you for one second? Yeah, now, bro. do you usually ride with Tupac in the back seat? Is that your standard procedure with him? No. Um, with um, artists, and even to this day, even to this day, um, I was uh, chief of security for Manny Pacquiao uh, last year, and I drove my car. Oh, really? All the time in 1996, behind uh, Tupac, behind Snoop, behind uh, whoever it was, all the uh, security bodyguards drove behind the artist. And the reason for that uh, at that time was uh, we were all uh, you know, police officers, and we um, uh, couldn't be riding in a car with them because it was a conflict of, conflict interest. of interest anyway. They were you know, getting high or having their drinks on or whatever. But you still want to get uh, paid off of them. Well, yeah, if they got pulled over and, uh, you know, we get out of the car with them and, you know, uh, we're, we're just uh, as guilty as they are and as much trouble as they are, you know, because you're getting that contact high from uh, the smoke if they were smoking as well. So that's one of the reasons that it was Deep a policy color. that we didn't ride in the car with them. Uh, Tupac and I would ride in limos together, though. If he was going to court or doing something like that and a limo was picking him up, I right. would ride with him in a limo. So the only... And was that just him, or was that with everybody that you protected? Was that was that with standard everyone. procedure that to ride in the limo. SOP. Yep, standing operating procedures to ride in the limo with whoever it was you were protecting. Absolutely, but not stop. SOP. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. Not stop. I mean, stop. But but not when they were driving their own personal cars, though. Yeah, when they were driving their own personal car, we could not and would not ride in the car with them. Now, again, that night I tried getting in the car with Tupac and Suge, but I was uh, deemed the um, uh, uh, designated driver by Tupac. He handed me uh, the keys to drive the car with the outlaws. And actually, when you look at that, uh, you can look at it in two different uh, scenarios. One, it wasn't God's plan. Uh, for me to be in that car to be uh, taken away. And then two, uh, Tupac was like uh, Mark Carney and Angel that night. He handed me those keys and said, go drive the other car. So uh, let's make the, the Outlaw Immortals, was Gaddafi alive at that time? Yes, yes he was in the car with me. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. It was one of them that was not alive at the time. No, it? that's not true. No, all of them was alive. Gaddafi uh, was killed... Uh, uh, after Tupac, just about 30 days later, he was killed in October of uh, 1996 uh, in New Jersey uh, in some projects in New Jersey. I think it was in Inglewood, Illtown. Um, it could have been. I don't know. I don't know New Jersey. Because so. then that's, I believe that's that wave that came over with Bloods. Uh, that's another story. But I don't know if it could have been Blood, but I know a lot of things went through Jersey. 
A lot of people don't want to talk about that, but that's another story. Can uh, we just pause one second and just take a call? Because the phone lines are going going crazy. Hold on one second. ACR. Hey, I had a question for Frank. Okay, make it brief. Who's this? Go, go ahead. From? Uh, my name is Chris. Okay, go ahead, Chris. Um, I just had a question about um all these years. It's been seen all over the DVDs and everything about um the studio footage he has and if he's ever going to release any of that on DVD one day. So you you're talking about. You have a que- your question to him is whether or not he's going to release studio footage that he has of Tupac in the studio. Yeah, it's it's been seen all over the films. If he's ever going to release them fully. Okay, we'll okay. ask we'll ask him that question. Thanks, Mr. Alexander. Yes, sir. Okay, there was a question um, from a caller, and, and big up to Chris for calling this up. His question was. Are you going to release uh, studio footage that you have of Tupac? Because he says he's been seeing some of it like all over DVDs. <laughs> yeah, man. You know what? Uh, I don't particularly know that caller, but uh, I have a guy that um, is on my uh, Facebook page on Facebook, and he asks me that question all the time. I have some footage, probably about 20 minutes of pure footage of uh, Pac. And um, because there's been so many requests, for that, like over the last 15 years, uh, this year is the 15th death anniversary of uh, Tupac. I, I, I think that I am going to release that footage um, to where it's going to be in its entirety. Now, yeah, now, I when am. you releasing that footage, will uh, you do you have you have to pay Suge Knight also, correct? Because that was in his studio, or no? No, no, Suge Knight didn't own that studio. That was Can Am Studios in Tarzana, California, which is a studio that is still there today that um, uh, Death Row Records was uh, renting out. They were the biggest client for that studio, so they had the whole studio, period. Nobody else was coming in that studio unless they were coming through uh, Death Row as an artist. Will Mr. Phoenix Shakur also be part and get money or get her rights towards that uh, the film as well? Uh, she actually has a copy of the whole entire footage because okay. in 1996, um, I felt that I should have uh, shared that with her because uh, Pac allowed me to record that footage of him uh, in the studio in 1996. And the reason for that footage, uh, by the way, just so uh, you know, is um, my family uh, had come uh, in from Chicago in 1996. My uh, niece uh, was in a car accident. She was a a paraplegic. And um, she had a a wish from the uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. And um, she was... 1415 at the time she got thrown through the back of a car and one of her friends was driving and uh, Janet Jackson was going to um, do a uh, make a wish thing with uh, this kid in New York and with my family from Chicago and what she was they were going to do the make a wish foundation was going to bring my family to uh, California to meet Janet but Janet was going to New York on another uh, in, uh, appointment or engagement that she had so she told uh, the Wink Wish Foundation have the family from Chicago go to New York. My family was like, we ain't going to New York because you know we live in Chicago, and Chicago is basically like New York, big buildings, skyscrapers. Yeah, it is. We want to go Train to California. Systems. So uh, uh, I was with Pac. Uh, we were working on the uh, movie set Gridlock at the time, and we were actually on the set. I'll never forget it. And um, uh, my sister called me. And uh, she said, hey, um, you know, mom said you are bodyguarding Tupac. We love Tupac. Uh, let me tell you what happened. So she told me the story that I just told you. And then um, uh, I told Pac the story. And Pac was like, man, F Janet, man. And I came, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, now, now, like, now, hold on. What was that? You said Pac said, you know, F Janet. Jackson. Yeah, because he, he he didn't like what she had uh, did. He he didn't like it at all. That that was his reaction. No, no. The reason why I asked you that question is because is that also the justice. reason why is that also the reason why? Uh, oh, well, I think poetic poetic justice was before that. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So was that stemming off of uh, uh, rumors about Pac not taking a, a medical the test? The test to kiss her for poetic to, justice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, I already know where you're going with that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, oh no, we're going there. Oh, oh, we're going there. Yeah, no, no, I'm just saying, you're absolutely right. But see, so anyway, he's, he, he, he was like, I mean, he didn't have to do that, man. You got to look at it like this. Pac was working on Gridlock. Uh, we were doing music videos, and he was in the studio. So you take all three of those things that he was doing, how heavy his schedule was, and he took that time out for my family out of his uh, unselfish schedule to make room for my niece because 
he cared about obviously me enough to uh, listen to the story and make a, a, a personal decision with inside you know his own head to say uh, you know hey have him come to the studio have him come up to gridlock uh, come over to my house for the weekend we'll have a barbecue with him it was like three things that he planned to do with them that um, uh, uh, Janet Jackson never would have done with them for the, uh, the little time that they would have seen her so Janet so the reason well, let me see. Let me see. Oh, that story, that story, by the way, is in my book, Got Your Back. When, when Pac uh, didn't want to take the HIV test to kiss Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Is that the reason why he played a good role when he was giving her the cold shoulder in the movie? Um, you, you know what? Pac being, um, uh, you know, the uh, charisma and uh, the, the character that uh, he was uh, in real life, maybe... Uh, that's a really good question. Maybe that was uh, part of uh, the reason that motivated him to play the role toward her uh, that he played toward her. You, you, that's a good question. So I, I would uh, probably assume, yeah. Yeah, because he didn't uh, have no um, you know, uh, other like real love for her other than they were in that movie. Was, was Tupac gang-related? Was he a no. brother or a crip? No, no. I, mean, I wrote about the man. See, let me tell you something. This, this, this. I love this because every single thing that you're asking me right now, I've written about it. It's in my book, and it goes uh, hand to hand. Thermal Soundways Radio. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, he was not gang related, and I write about that in the book. I write about the fact that uh, we were in the House of Blues, and we were sitting there um, at a table uh, waiting on uh, some more people to show up, and while we were there. Uh, the actor, I don't know his last name, but uh, Leon, everyone knows him, he's from Above the Rim, who played uh, Pac's, uh, uh, I think, brother in Above the Rim. The yeah, yeah. I, I remember him. Me, me and my friends chased him down one time, like to say hi to him. <laughs> okay. he th- no, he thought we were going to rob him. Okay, so check it out. We were sitting at a table, and um, he came in, so he saw Pac, and he stopped, and he sat there. And a bunch of Crips came in to the uh, House of Blues, and they surrounded us in the House of Blues at the table, right? And I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, right? And um, I'll never forget it. One of the guys was like, yo, Pac, you know, uh, what's up, man? And he was like, oh, what's up, homie? You know, and he goes, uh, so who you riding with, man? You riding with the blue or the red? And uh, he was like, excuse me? He's like, well, who you down with? You down with Crips or you down with Bloods? And he said, um, uh, why would you ask me a question like that? He goes, well, you hang out with Snoop. He's a Crip, and uh, he's representing uh, Crips out of Long Beach, and he don't make no, uh, 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 you know, uh, point to hide that. But you rolling with Suge, and he's a Pyru blood. So who you down with? Pac said, man. He goes, I'm neutral. He goes, uh, this is my work. It's my job. It's what I do. And I personally say, if Tupac had a color that he was representing, it was green. G R E E N Green, the color of money, brother. It's this thermal sound waves. You're talking to Frank Alexander, author, uh, documentarian, uh, former uh, bodyguard of Tupac Shakur. If y'all got questions, uh, email us thermalsoundwaves at gmail.com. Call us up uh, 212-491-4685. We're going to take another call right now. Or instant messenger, uh, thermal sound is the screen name. Hold on, Miss Adam Fanther. Thermal sound waves, you're on live. Hello? It's thermal Robin. sound waves. If you got a serious question for Mr. Alexander, call us up 212-491-4685. And uh, he's recounting some things in the book. And the book is, what's the name of the book once again? Mr. Frank Alexander. Mr. Alexander. Hello. What's, yes, the name of, what's the name of your book again? Got Your Back. Got Your Back. Yes, indeed. Uh, and um, it could be found at www.frank-alexander.com. Right. And, of course, you just recounted the story that Tupac was neither crip nor blood. He, was he said he was neutral. Not That's a problem right. being neutral neither. Uh, if, if he was one or the other, could you still protect him? Wouldn't that be a conflict of interest if you knew he was a, a known gang member? Well, that was a problem with uh, all of the uh, police departments <clears throat> with us uh, working with uh, Tupac. And um, one of the departments, which was uh, Inglewood uh, Police Department, which Inglewood. I talk about that in the book as well, so, you right on it, man. You're on top of your game. Um, they had they they actually uh, told their officers 
uh, it was some Long, Be- Long Beach and uh, Inglewood PD told their officers that they could no longer work with death row records because uh, it was a conflict of interest, them being of law enforcement, and everyone just about on death row records were uh, known felons, and they told them that they could um, no longer work with them. And the other departments that probably you know let them get away with it, as long as they had a letter from their chief of police, they allowed them to work, knowing that they was working, but they could not carry their badge or ID while they were working, which meant then they had to get um, three different uh, licenses in order to hmm. carry a, a weapon in California, well, which would be uh, three uh, gun permits from California, concealed weapon permit, and then two from the state that will allow you to work security. And you have to have the um, your weapon in the box, the weapon box. No, right? no, no. Oh, you can able, you can actually have it out, outside the box. Uh, is long okay? Uh, you, you're on the right page, but the two from the state of California. One is a guard card, and one is an exposed weapon permit. Uh, when you're going to and from work, you can carry your weapon uh, to and from work in a locked uh, uh, gun box, which makes no sense to me. Because if somebody's gonna get at you, they're gonna get you. You have no time. I'm sorry. I know. I never really understood that. I. I, that's only if you feel danger might be coming within the next couple of minutes. No, but I no, felt it was no, kind of no. stupid to have the gun box. No, 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 no. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. The point is, um, the third license is a concealed weapon permit to where you can carry your weapon concealed 24 hours a day in the state of California. It don't matter. So that's the third license that you uh, have to have. And as a police officer back during that time or even this time, uh, you go for uh, to your chief and they'll give you a concealed weapons permit right there on the spot because what you're doing is taking the liability off of the department by not carrying your badge and your ID. So you can protect yourself by having a concealed weapon permit and you can work off-duty uh, moonlighting. Now, do you think it's, it's better or worse for someone like Mr. Tupac Shakur to be neutral, because like you might say, hey, it's it's bad if you gotta protect a guy that's a, either blood or crip. Now, when if a guy is uh, outspoken and is heavily loved, close of a thug, he does thug stuff, mm-hmm. and both blood and crips like have love for him. Is that worse? No. It has. Um, I mean that because if a guy actually has blood and crips loving, that means he has a lot of power. Well, let, 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 we, let, let sometimes me, people don't want somebody having too much power. Let, let, let me explain it. Um, I'm from Chicago. Which I grew part? up in it. I, Which part I, of Chicago? South, south side of Chicago. Uh, it was called a Jeffrey Manor when I was uh, uh, 11 years, well, actually a little bit older than that, uh, when my family moved there, we were about 11. But before that, Vice Lord, um, Vice Lord, I lived huh? in the projects, the Robert Taylor projects. Vice Lords. Huh? Vice Lords, a lot of... Well, Vice. see, before that, before that, the gangs in Chicago were the uh, Blackstone Rangers, the Jeff Ford. Jeff Ford. Hera, and yeah. then you had Disciples. Blackstone. You didn't and have Vice Lord. You had Disciples, which <clears throat> was... Um, uh, the disciples was Larry Hoover, and Black Peace Stone Rangers and, were actually where Bloods came from. And what happened is, back during that time, it was no colors. If you wore an earring in your left ear, you were a Black Stone Ranger. If you wore an earring in your right ear, you were an, a you were a disciple. My cousin and I, his name is McQuell, we were on a bus stop. <laughs> And he, we, we, we were from a disciple neighborhood. That's where we, our, our neighborhood were disciples. So we had our ears pierced on the right side. And I didn't have an earring in that night. He had an earring on. And we were in uh, the Blackstone uh, Rangers uh, area. We were getting on the uh, CTA, Chicago Transit Authority. And they saw his earring sparkling from, like, a block away. And he said, Yo! You better get that earring out your ear, then to get it on the right side. Keep it clean. Man, that clean. bus pulled up, and we jumped on that bus. Now, today, gangs um, uh, show their colors. Obviously, blue is Crip, red is blood. Um, 
well, here in uh, California. Up, yeah. Back in Chicago, if you wear uh, uh, black and there's uh, white socks uh, colors, yeah. um, you, you're representing uh, GDs now. They're no longer disciples, they're GDs, they're gangster disciples. And Blackstone Rangers are no longer Blackstone Rangers, they're uh, Peacestone uh, Rangers. It's you know, so, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, so I'm just saying, so, you know, that's just how gangs uh, have evolved. And now it's not so much about, um, uh, a lot of the gangs uh, are not so much about territory anymore. It's all about drugs and, you know, uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, turn it into a uh, business and trying not to do the things that they used to do back in the day. But unfortunately, you have those colors. If you go into the wrong neighborhood, you better not have on those colors. And that's, that's the sad thing about it, because anyone should be able to wear any color they want to wear. No doubt. It's Thermal Sound Waves. We're talking to Mr. Frank Alexander, author of the book, Got Your Back, and uh, former bodyguard of uh, it's a Tupac Shakur. Sure. Now, you were handpicked to be his bodyguard. Who exactly handpicked you, and, and why were you handpicked? What, what exactly made you be the one to protect this iconic figure? Man, y'all, y'all got a copy of my book, dude, because I have I, a chapter. I've never read your book at all. Check I, this out. I never <laughs> read your book, but we plan on reading it. But reaction question. Let, 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 me, let me say something real quick before you answer that question. I know you know you probably might have or already or have will be having a couple other interviews, other places, and I, we're not getting funded from no other, from all the other people. Or we don't have pledge of allegiance to anybody else. So we're going to ask questions that we would ask if we was home with our peoples. Like, I, and that's, I wonder. that's what's making me appreciate the show because you actually just asked another question that's uh, part three called Tupac Shakur, chapter eight, page 58, the chosen one. Okay, so why were you the chosen one? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Luis Martinez. Man. Shout out to Fred Man Fred Man. So, so, so here's the deal. Here's the story. Yeah. All right. Um, unfortunately, you guys are going to hear the truth of the matter of something that happened in New York in 1995. How are we supposed to? That's right. Um, in December of 1995, um, we were in New York shooting a uh, video New York, New York, at the time, That's it was when, uh, Snoop yeah. Dogg and the Dog Pound. And it was actually the Dog Pound's video featuring uh, Snoop. Tupac had zero to do with it. He was back in California. And there was a whole entire crew of us out there. It was in the wintertime. Snow was on the ground. And we were in Brooklyn. Um, what had happened up. was the night before, uh, be it, let's just call it a Wednesday, uh, that night in uh, Times Square, they were shooting uh, the lowriders driving up and down Times Square. Mm -hmm. Myself, Nate Dogg, and uh, Daz, was, um, they were sitting in a car, and I was standing next to the car. Um, all of the security was by the artist that was there, so I was standing by their car. And they had the radio on. On the radio, Biggie got on and said, New York, what's up, New York? Keep it clean. <laughs> no, 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 brother. Trust me. It ain't going like that. What's up, New York? What y'all doing? Letting Tupac and the Dog Pound shoot a video in the heart of New York in Times Square. He got on a radio. He said that. It was like a question, right? The next day, we are in Brooklyn shooting a house scene. <laughs> and we're walking... Uh, Nate Dog, I'm sorry, myself and one of the other uh, security guys, we're walking Nate Dog from the set, uh, from just shooting, and as we're walking to the trailer, we put Nate Dog in, and across the street, you know how you guys have uh, your, your like little small stores that uh, are guys. in the buildings? Somebody came out of one of the stores and started just shooting up the trailer that mm -hmm. Snoop was in. And I... Um, was already walking in the direction of that door, so I ran to the door, and when I opened the door, I had my uh, gun out, and as I opened the, uh, the door, I'm snatching the artist out of the uh, trailer, 
And Nate Dogg actually thought I was the shooter because he made fun of it later that uh, evening. But he, uh, I mean, I'm pulling everybody out of the uh, trailer. And this is in the book as well. As I'm throwing people out, um, like corrupt, all of them was kids at this time. They were all teenagers. Um, corrupt had a uh, uh, old English bottle in his hand. I snatch him. He was trying to hold a bottle. I threw the bottle down. Yeah. By this time, the security van, the other security, had got the van to move closer over to that trailer. All of the artists and everyone that was in that um, uh, trailer had dog piled on top of Snoop. So I'm trying to get to Snoop. And as I'm pulling everybody out, throwing them in a the van, throwing them in the van, we're throwing them in the van, myself and the rest of the security, throwing them in the van. Uh, the driver, cool brother, Puerto Rican brother, man, he uh, was on his job. He hit, we got everybody in, got everybody secured, and he hit that uh, van in reverse, and he drove in the snow on the ice down the sidewalk, going in reverse all the way back until he hit the street, and we whipped it and got him out of there. No one got shot, but they shot that trailer up, right? So that got back around. We got Snoop out of New York. That got all around the studio back in California. Uh, Shil called me into his office and said, hey, Frank, what happened out of New York? So I explained the story, basically, like I just to you guys. And uh, he goes, well, man, um, everybody like calling you a hero. Everybody's like, uh, you know, like, what's up, what's up, man? I want Frank to be my bodyguard, blah, blah, blah. Now, <clears throat> at the time, I'm working in the studio. I wasn't, like, assigned to a specific uh, artist. And um, uh, some time had gone by. Pac would see me coming in and out of the studio. You know, we let the artist, the main artist, come in, and then we searched anybody that was with them so they wouldn't bring any weapons into the studio. And one of the reasons we did that, just to make a point of it, because you had Crips and you had Bloods that worked in the studio. So nobody could bring a weapon in. Nobody had weapons except us, security. So we wanted everyone. If somebody had a weapon, they had to go put it in their car, be it a knife or a gun or whatever. They couldn't bring it in. So um, the word uh, got around, and um, the owner of the uh, security company said, hey, uh, I want you to bodyguard uh, Tupac. And I was like, uh, well, <laughs> uh, you know, I was doing just that, stuttering, like trying to find an answer, because the answer was not yes immediately. And uh, he said, well, uh, you got till like, uh, tomorrow or another day to let me know because I got to get somebody on him and um, right now uh, you know it should be you and I was like uh, well how about this let me call you back and I'm gonna make a couple of calls so I called like three of the other bodyguards and I said hey um, Reggie just called me and he want me to bodyguard uh, Tupac but I don't want to bodyguard Tupac for a time I said so uh, are you know you guys willing to do a rotating schedule like two days on two days off and I got three of the guys to say yeah. So it was four guys on Tupac doing two days on, two days off. The owner was cool with that, and um, we were on a rotating schedule with him. He was standing, he was staying at the Peninsula Hotel before he uh, moved into his house or his uh, penthouse. And uh, that rotating schedule uh, went on him from January of 1996 until February, uh, March of 1996. Uh, Tupac. Uh, for the Mike Tyson Frank Bruno fight in March of 1996, um, we were in Las Vegas at Club 662, uh, Sugar Nights Club, and uh, I got a phone call from the owner of the uh, security company, and he said, "Hey, he goes, I got uh, some news for you." And I was like, "What's up?" He goes, "Well, some is good, some is bad." He goes, "The good news is um, we had a meeting today. They were still in California." He says, "We had a meeting today, and..." Um, Tupac chose you to be his bodyguard. I mean, he chose me to be his bodyguard. He goes, yeah, he said that he wanted you personally to be his bodyguard. And uh, the bad news is you're not getting any more money than what you're making. We're making like sixteen fifty an hour. He goes, you're not getting no more money than what you're making. So that's wow. the bad news. And I was like, so. Um, Wait, we are not getting or you ain't getting? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you ain't getting yeah. any more than yeah. what you're making. So it was like, uh, okay, you know, like like right then and there, like you got to take it now. I had been rotating on him for a while, so I got to uh, uh, know him a little bit better. Got to uh, you know feel his personality, his character, and um, see the kind of person that he was. And one of the things about Pac, uh, we call it shaking security. He liked to shake his security. And the other guys that was rotating uh, with him during a time when we had the rotating schedule. Um, uh, he he would lose them all the time. He would go through red lights. Uh, he would get up to a yellow light. 
and act like he's going to stop, and he was the first car, he'll shoot through it, and the other car behind him would have to stop. <laughs> there was many times that uh, he would try to shake his security. He never shook me, not one time. I never asked him to buy me gas. I never asked him to buy me anything to eat any time I was with him on his rotating schedule. So some of those things probably came into play oh, of course. Um, with other people, and that's why he, um, uh, I'm thinking that's why he chose me, and we got along. It's During that rotating uh, time, we got along. And uh, when, he, when he pulled up that night with Suge Knight, uh, Snoop and himself. This is when uh, everybody started seeing him driving that uh, 1996 drop top Rolls Royce. That night he pulled up to 662. I was standing outside uh, waiting on him because we heard they were coming down uh, the street, getting ready to come into the parking lot. So I was standing out there, and uh, when he pulled up, he go, Big Frank, Big Frank, nigga, did you hear? Did you hear? I was like, Yeah, man, I heard. He's like. Yeah, you're going to be my main security, man. We're going to have some fun, man. Picture us rolling, homie. Picture us rolling. And I was like, oh, here we go. We're about to have some fun. And by that time, (laughs) man, everything was cool. And that's how I became his main bodyguard. It's Thermal Soundwave. He's talking to Mr. Frank Alexander, former bodyguard of uh, Tupac Shakur, author of the book Got Your Back. If you got questions, call us up, 212 Four nine one four six eight five. Email us thermalsoundwaves at gmail dot com. Now, what exactly is your background? I mean, you you were you know bodybuilder. You had a physical was a physical fitness uh, company and so forth. You were in the Marines. Like, what, what what exactly is is your background that you know you get to bodyguarding and you, you have this this expertise? MMA. Um, well, let's start like this. Um, <laughs> from <laughs> man. <laughs> Um, from the, uh, a young age, um, myself and uh, my cousin I mentioned earlier named, uh, from Chicago, McQuell, and um, a couple of our uh, other friends, we all took martial arts uh, in a local uh, park. So, uh, you know, early on, um, I knew how to uh, protect myself. We uh, was taking martial arts. And then from there, um, you know, I kind of continued. Then I went into the military, the Marine Corps, uh, when I turned 18. Um, I went into the Marine Corps, and uh, after I uh, graduated from boot camp, and then after I went to a, a few duty stations, uh, I ended up back on uh, the Marine Corps uh, drill field. The drill field, I became a drill instructor. Oh, I know exactly what kind of person you are. Yeah, see, uh, I became a drill instructor. And then, um, you know, um, I taught uh, hand-to-hand combat uh, mm-hmm. while I was on the drill field a little bit. And then um, from that, um, after my Marine Corps uh, stint, I um, went into law enforcement, and I started law enforcement in 1986. Um, I went to the uh, Orange County Sheriff's Department here in uh, California. Um, Again, you know, the the training. My whole entire background uh, has always been of the military. Um, one of my uh, really good friends, uh, also from uh, high school, uh, was in the Marine Corps at the same time I was in. And, uh, he was on the drill field, became a drill master, and then later became uh, a minister of uh, Farrakhan's uh, personal bodyguard, and he taught drill to the uh, nation of Israel. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he and I, we're still friends today. He's still in Illinois. We and, can't wait uh, to meet him. He, he is a uh, something like a seventh or eighth degree black belt in wow. Okinawan Japanese karate okay. and I studied under him killer. yeah I, st- I studied under him when uh, he and I um, had hooked up in California as he um, was living here at the time uh, a couple of his clients was uh, Mariah Carey and uh, Jackie Chan Chris Tucker <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> did he teach Jackie Chan some he moves Jackie Chan yeah, yeah. During the during the, uh, all all uh, well, both of the uh, Rush Hour movies, he was Jackie Chan uh, and Chris Tucker's uh, bodyguard. You got to re- uh, realize something like with boxers, Mike Tyson, Mackie, uh, Mackie, <laughs> Manny Pacquiao, uh, Jackie Chan, because of the martial arts that they know, uh, they can't just go jumping on people and beating people up because they can defend themselves. Obviously, they can, and everyone knows that. And any fool wouldn't run up on them. But the uh, thing is this, 
they rather have security because security can do things for them that they can't do. And they look at your background. You give them a resume. Uh, they test you, and they check you out before they hire you. And, uh, you know, you're on point. Uh, they, they know that they're, you know, secure. They're going to be all right. So um, their, their hands are registered, too. If you remember uh, yes. yeah, a long time ago, man, boxers uh, had to have their had hands a, registered. Yes, had to register their hands. Yeah, that's right. So they, they can't just, like, uh, uh, jump out and want to uh, fight people. So uh, my background Mitch comes Green. from that. That's where my background <laughs> Mitch comes Mitch Green. Jerry Curl, Mitch Green. <laughs> and, you know, and I was told that also that boxers and fighters, like a lot of people want to be, I want to be, I want to be a mixed martial arts fighter. I want to beat people up. Okay, you're going to be a professional fighter. You have to register your hands. If you get into a fight, the law could slam you. They could really come down on you. Absolutely. You, you're, uh, you're trained to be a lethal weapon. That, that's right. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, a lot of people try like, well, some people just thought they could actually fight Mike Tyson. They heard a Will Smith song back in the days. So I think I could beat Mike Tyson. They thought I, I could fight Mike Tyson. No, he he's serious. And then they get beat up, and then they want to be like, wait a minute, I could sue him? Okay, yeah, let me, let me sue him. That, that's right. And, and uh, who was that guy? He came out of a nightclub. And uh, Mike Tyson, uh, This it was a, a big, tall dude. Uh, he wasn't a boxer. He had a, a jerry curl, so it, was, it had to be back in the uh, 80s, like when uh, Mike was still, you know, young and in his prime. Mitch Green. Uh, he came out of this club. He beat this guy silly. Mitch that Green. Mitch Green. Mitch Green. That's Mitch Green. That's what yeah, I just said. Exactly. Yeah. Jerry curls. Yeah, yeah. Yep. that's what Me, I said. Mitch Green. And Mitch Green. I saw him a couple of years ago, and I think he is um, still in his, like, so, something, something wrong, dog. Hey, man, you know, I told I saw Mike Tyson. I saw, Hey man, I was like, okay, I got I gotta get away from you. Something's okay, always been wrong. With I think you're a security matter of fact. I think Mitch Green does security. It's thermal sound waves. He talking. I'm not lying. Hey, he does. Mitch Green is security. Really? Me, Mitch Green, and he has a Jerry curls. Uh, well, some of it, because you know, oh, as man, age come can, on. As, you know, no, 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 no seriously, seriously, seriously. When I saw him, I was like two years ago by the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City, and I was like, who is this guy? He's a big guy. Yeah. So, so don't yeah, don't think because Mike Tyson beat him, Mike Tyson short, you can you can fight him. No, no, no. Yeah. He's yeah. one of those old men that got, you know, that old man strength. Like, c- c- come here, boy, come here. He got that old man strength, but more. But um, I- I- hold on one second, Senator. WHCR ninety point three FM, New York. I want to touch back on something. Uh, it's Thermal Soundways Radio, the world famous radio boys. See you with Kevin Lawrence. Uh, we got a couple more. We got a lot more to say to you, but we're not gonna have you on here for too long. So we apologize. Uh, you mentioned Tupac at the Frank. Bruno and Mike Tyson fight. There was a song out there. You ain't got a lot of to kick it. Was that about Tupac and Mike Tyson not having having problems? No, Mike Tyson and Tupac were great friends when um, uh, Mike was locked up in uh, Indiana uh, on those uh, rape charges, and uh, Tupac was locked up. They were writing each other back and forth, and that's how they became friends. And uh, Mike and Pot never had a, a, a problem, never. Uh, Pot uh, did uh, all of the uh, music for uh, Mike's uh, entry uh, coming into the ring. Yeah, I was in that, uh, that documentary that uh, Reggie uh, Bywood did, that One Night in Vegas uh, piece. Oh, you talking he, about the, for, the yes. Mike Tyson thing? Yeah, that he did for ESPN, the 30-30. Yeah, he, he mentioned all that in that piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want to take you guys off your path, but uh, I was really disappointed about that uh, whole thing that ESPN did with Mike Tyson. What made you disappointed? Why is that? Um, one, um, there was it was a twist on it the way they wanted it to be. <laughs> uh, I actually tried to get a hold of them, and I sent um, uh, messages to uh, the uh, director that was putting that piece together, which was a brother. And um, Resi Rock Byfoot. Uh, they didn't, yeah, they didn't even call me back, but um, the guy that took the last picture of Tupac, he was, they uh, had him in there, and um, he lied. This guy flat out lied through his teeth. He said that he asked Tupac, could he take that picture of him? Now, I want everybody that's listening, especially all the Tupac fans, please hear this. How did this guy ask Tupac, could he take that picture of him? when he was sitting in the car at the red light and the guy had to have been across the street, way across the street to have taken that picture. So as the car was facing um, uh, east 
on Flamingo, because that's the direction we were going, he would have to have come over to the car, walk to the car, and ask Pac, can I take this picture? No, you talking about the famous picture with Pac, Pac and Suge? Pac and Suge in the car. The last picture ever taken of Tupac. That guy lied through his teeth about that picture. All right, and I hope he's listening out there. And if anybody didn't know him, you let him know that I'm saying he's lying through his teeth. That's one. Two, um, <laughs> Bruce Seldon lied. Bruce Seldon said that Tupac stopped over in his dressing room to, to speak to him. <laughs> okay, all of this is in my book. All of this is in my book about what happened that night. First of all, when we left from the M, uh, from the uh, MGM and went back over to the Lexor Hotel uh, after Pac had been gambling that day, um, Pac had me go upstairs and change clothes. He had the other uh, security that was with us, Michael Moore, stay with him while I changed clothes. Um, Pac went up and changed clothes uh, after uh, I came back uh, down. And Michael Moore, he told him to go change clothes and meet us. We're not talking about the boxer, Michael Moore, are we? No, no. We're talking about the uh, other security that was with me. His name is Michael Moore. Okay. He told him to come and uh, meet us over at the MGM. So Tupac and I got in a cab. We got in a cab, and we went over to the MGM. That's where he had on the blue, uh, blue jeans and the gold sh- uh, shirt. We get over there. It was so crazy. It was so crowded. Everybody saw him. They were screaming, Tupac, Tupac, and they trying to get at him. So I uh, got the attention of the uh, security, MGM security, and I had them uh, walk us around the crowd on the other side of the ropes to get to the uh, Grand, Grand Garden Arena area. So they get us over there. Now, we're, uh, there's, there's a roll of telephones there. We're uh, at those telephones. And we're walking back and forth. We're pacing. Pac is pacing. He's mad because Suge Knight is late getting there with the tickets. And the fight is about to start. When Suge Knight showed up, he had uh, another gentleman with him. So he had four tickets. Himself, the other gentleman who I didn't know, Pac, and myself. And we went into the fight and we sat ringside. We went into the fight as the national anthem had just started. And as we were walking... We, I was like, we got to stop, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, from the Marine Corps. We got to stop. I got to put my hand on my chest, you know. Uh, and and uh, Pac and Shug, they were walking. National Anthem Clan, <laughs> we're walking, going to our seats. So we get down there skip, to our seats and we sit <laughs> down. Skip, skip. We leave uh, after, after the fight. I mean, the fight was, what, a minute and 50 seconds? If that. You know, if that, right? Yeah. Pac knocked him out. I'm sorry. Pac <laughs> 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 that well, hold on. That, that fight came later. Get that fight up. did come later. <laughs> Mike Hail knocked Mary. him out. Right, right. Mike knocked him out. And as soon as Mike knocked him out, uh, Suge said, let's go. So we get up. We go in the back. Now, the BET cameras catch us in the back. And they show Tupac in the BET cameras. And I'm in the background. And Suge Knight is next to Pac smiling. And Pac is like, 50 blows, 50 blows. Did you see it? 50 blows. Did you count them? 50 blows. He hit him 50 times. Knocked him out. Right? He's all excited. Right. So we, um, uh, we're in the back. When did, here's the, uh, the point to this, when did Tupac have time to talk to Bruce Seldon, they interviewed him, and he said Tupac stopped by and spoke to him, and this and that. And Bruce Seldon is the analysis or the, the guy for ESPN, you're saying, right? Exactly. They interviewed him in that, and he lied. He flat okay. out lied. Now, here's the third lie. There's three lies out of that, and this is what made it disappointing to me. Why not four? Mike Tyson lied. I, I love Mike Tyson. He was one of my favorite boxers, all right? But Mike lied, and this is what he lied about. He said after the fight, he went out uh, the ring and went in the back and kicked it with Pac and hung out. He never saw Pac after the fight. After he uh, knocked out uh, Bruce Seldon, and we're out uh, in the back, and I mean, you see Bruno. the cameras. You he knocked see out the Bruno. cameras on us. Uh, Suge Knight was uh, pulling Tupac to leave. We walked out of the – We uh, Pac went over to a water fountain. The cameras followed us. You see him uh, getting some water, and you see Suge pulling at him to go. You, you see this in the footage. And we walked out of the door. Mike Tyson never saw Tupac that night. Never. 
Okay, it's, it's Thermal Soundwave. You're talking to Mr. Frank Alexander, wow. author of uh, Got Your Back. We've got uh, questions from email uh, coming from jmoney3457. He says, um, what do you think of evidence that's surfacing on YouTube, uh, especially on uh, some new Should Night videos hinting that uh, Pac is still alive? That's question one. And question two is, why didn't any of the bodyguards give chase uh, to the shooters that night in Vegas? Okay, two good questions. One, um, Tupac is not alive. As we started this interview, Say that I, one more time. I, was, I was with Tupac from the time that he was shot up until the time he died. Um, okay. The homicide detectives that were on the case, um, Brent Becker, he and I became really uh, good friends. And um, anytime um, there's a homicide and if the uh, victim dies, the homicide, the lead homicide detectives have to be at the, um, they have to be present at the um, autopsy. And uh, obviously I wasn't at the autopsy, but uh, Brent Becker was there. And um, he's in uh, my documentary, Before I Wake, and he's also in my documentary, uh, Tupac Assassination, Conspiracy or Revenge and Reckoning. And um, again, like I said, we became uh, friends, and that's why he's in the documentaries, and he agreed to do them. Um, he witnessed the autopsy. The picture that uh, this other um, reporter from Las Vegas, I don't want to uh, mention her name and talk about her book, because she put that picture of Tupac in her book, the autopsy picture. Uh, to all those fans out there uh, that's listening, uh, that is a real picture, and that was Tupac laying on that table, uh, cut open, um, with that autopsy performed on him. Can, is she allowed to do that? Dead. Huh? Is she allowed to do that? Um, obviously she was because she did it right away. The only thing I disagree with and what I don't like about it is it's no different than uh, you being a journalist and you read a whole bunch of uh, material on, um, let's say, Jay-Z, on Jay-Z, and you don't know Jay-Z. You don't even listen to rap, okay? You're just a journalist. And all of a sudden, you decide to write a book on Jay-Z because you read a whole bunch of magazines. And you're a journalist, and you know how to write. And that's what she did. She wrote a book on Tupac, The Killing of Tupac Shakur. And she uh, used that last picture that was taken of him for her book cover. And uh, she put that autopsy picture in there. I think, I think that that was a disrespect and a slap in the face to his mother. And um, what she did was wrong, is using that picture. Okay, that's that. The second thing is the reason why no one took chase. Um, let's put it like this. I didn't take chase uh, for uh, two real, uh, really good reasons. One, um, the car that I was driving, Tupac and uh, Kadada had driven there in Las, to Las Vegas in that car. The uh, gas light was on uh, uh, in that car, and we were concerned already from the time we left the Lexor Hotel, went to Suge Knight's house, in Las Vegas, in Green Valley, and then from Green Valley back to uh, the Strip as far as we made it. Uh, one of the things we were talking about in the car, the outlaws and myself, was we were going to run out of gas because the light was on and we couldn't get gas. We couldn't even pull over. So that car was like literally burning fumes. Uh, there was a car that was behind me that did uh, take chase after that Cadillac because I saw that car um, two or three days later at Suge Knight's uh, house in Green Valley, and there was a bullet hole in that car. Be it from that night or from whenever, there was a bullet hole in that car, and I was told that that car took chase. It's Thermal Soundwave. You're talking to Mr. Frank Alexander here on uh, Call us up, 212-491-4685. That is the number. Email us, thermalsoundwaves at gmail.com. So some more quick questions before we got to run. Um, you were in the Special Forces, correct? Uh, I was uh, in the uh, Marine Corps. No, I wasn't Special uh, Forces. Okay, you wasn't Special Forces. Oh, in the Marine in the Marine Corps, that would have been called um, uh, a recon. recon. Like the, the, the Army has uh, Green Berets, the Navy have uh, Navy SEALs. Right. Those are the ones. Get that, it right. Um, got, Navy SEALs. Uh, uh, Osama bin Laden the other day, uh, yesterday. Allegedly, the Navy SEALs, yeah. and then he's been on ice for a while. <laughs> we ain't seen the body. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Come on. Uh, He's been on ice for a while. Okay. And, so. I mean, it's, it's very suspicious as all of a sudden. We burned him out of You seat. know, yeah, just with, within, like, what, 10 minutes? <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, yeah his body's gone. Th that, yeah. Was, that was a Trump card. We, we, we confirmed it, though. Pun you know, intended. His that DNA was, was confirmed. 
Yeah. And so, and so, also so. there's a book coming out by about the the, the team Timing that caught him. Everything people in in June, like oh, really? less than a day later, a book is coming out. Wow. Come on. I mean, yeah. whatever. But anyway. Well, yeah, so anyway, um, no, I was not uh, no type of special forces or anything like that other than uh, my Marine Corps training, uh, you know, martial arts I've taken uh, over the years, uh, law enforcement, of course, uh, you That's go through all really kind point. of training there. So um, that's the only training that, uh, you know, I've had. Okay. Get back to the rally point, Frank. All right. So I, I got, a, I got a, a list of questions. We're going to do the uh, Tupac trivia. With uh, Frank Alexander. Thermal sound wave, wave.